Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 26th is Nehemiah chapters 1 through 5. Nehemiah was a contemporary of Ezra. Many people believe that Ezra even wrote the book of Nehemiah in addition to the one named after him. During the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress of the city of Susa, same place Esther was queen, one of his brothers arrives with news from Judah. Nehemiah says, how is it going there? And he was told the remnant who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall has been broken down. The gates have been burned. When Nehemiah heard these words, it says he sat down and wept and mourned for days with fasting and prayer. Have you ever been given some news that just took the wind right out of you and caused you to hit your knees? Where for days afterward, you could barely stand the loss of a loved one? a national tragedy. Many of us can think about 9-11. We know exactly where we were on that day, exactly what we were doing when we heard the news, and many of us rushed to our television sets and just sat there stunned, taking it all in. I'm sure for the rest of his life, Nehemiah remembered exactly where he was when Hanani mentioned the news of what was going on in Jerusalem. Many people look at the book of Nehemiah as a practical guide on good leadership. I would consider it a practical guide on good stewardship of kingdom work, what it is God is calling us to do and how to do it well. Nehemiah spends a lot of time praying in this book, and he prays the scriptures he confesses the sins that he's committed, and he goes, God, please remember what you've commanded your servant Moses. And he quotes back God's words to him in prayer. You said you would scatter the people among the nations, but if the exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, God, you said I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell, praying the scriptures is ultra effective, friends, but it's not simple in the sense that we get to recite words from a page like a witch would cast a spell. Many people today want to claim Bible verses and spit them out like they are reading a recipe card, but the scriptures teach us in the book of James that it's the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person that avails much. Another way to translate that is to say, a righteous man's prayers are powerful and effective. It's a righteous person. It's somebody who is walking in accord with God. We have no business praying the scriptures if we're walking in open and unrepentant sin. It's important to note that God looks on and acts on the prayers of righteous people who are walking in accordance with his statutes. If we are walking in open and unrepentant sin, God is not going to bless our prayers. If we skip over certain parts of the Bible because it makes us uncomfortable, God is not going to bless our prayers until our prayers involve repentance.
God, I have sinned. I confess that I have sinned, and I am turning from those sins. Please forgive me and help me change. Nehemiah was likely not walking in open, unrepentant sin, and yet he says in verse 6, I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly, he says in verse 7. Even the most righteous person should be fully aware of their sin because we all have it. We are all selfish and we all need a Savior. And friends, God is close to the brokenhearted. He is near to the contrite of heart. When we humble ourselves before him, he is quick to lift us up. But it must start with obtaining his righteousness that comes through the blood of Christ shed on our behalf. It's also very important that we understand the words of the scripture that we are reciting back to God. These words cannot be hollow. We can't be reciting something that we don't understand that makes it powerless. In Acts chapter 19, there are seven sons of a man named Sceva who are trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preached about. And the demon literally stood up the man that it was possessing and looked at them and said, I know Jesus and I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And then he overpowered them and they ran from that place naked and bleeding. Christianity and the Bible are not tools to witchcraft where we cast spells using words that are printed on a page. Friends, we have to allow the scripture to come into our heart and change who we are from the outside. When the scripture comes in through proper understanding and application, we know who God is, what he's saying. We develop a confidence in our heart that knows, that teaches us, that leads us into a deeper understanding, and we can come from a place of authority because we know God's position on a certain matter. And when we speak with authority, hell will not prevail against the advancement of the ecclesia, the kingdom of heaven. Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king, and when he goes before the king and he's still distraught, the king says, why are you looking so sad? It was a it was against the law for anyone to go into the king's presence looking sad. We remember reading that about Mordecai in the book of Esther. Don't go mourning before the king. It could cost you your life. When Nehemiah is confronted by the king, he prays. It's his default heart position. God gives him favor and moves in the heart of the king and grants him his request to go with the resources to begin building, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he went out at night and inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He said he went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for his animal to go through, and so he had to get off and go by foot. Sometimes answering the call of God is not something we can do from a position of comfort and safety being on 
a trusty steed. Sometimes we have to go by foot and it requires some hard work. I'm sure it was much less convenient to go at night, but he had to go under the cover of night so as not to alert the enemies and begin giving fuel to the opposition before the work had even begun. We read up above in verse 10 when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. But fortunately, we know in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. After he surveys the work, he goes back and gives a report, and the people said, let's start rebuilding, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. Again, when the enemy heard that, they mocked and despised the workers and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Friends, when you start down the path of following God's calling on your life, you will get attacks from the enemy, you will be mocked, you will be despised, and you will be falsely accused, just like Nehemiah and his brothers in labor were. In chapter 3, we get a big long list of names and the different parts of the city gate that they were working on. If you have some time, look at those individual names in the Hebrew and their meanings and see what kind of truths you can discern. But for today, just because of time, I'd like to highlight for you that they all made repairs for the most part right across from where they live. Everyone was doing their own part. Essentially, in every other paragraph, it would give a name, and it tells that that man and his family was working in the part of town that was right across from where they lived. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall in chapter 4, verse 1, he became furious and he mocked the Jews. That's what the enemy does when he's losing ground. We all have hardwired into us a fear of rejection and a fear of failure. And when people make fun of us, it does make us scared to continue working because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves in the event that we might fail. Nobody wants to fail, and you especially don't want to fail in front of an audience. That prompts Nehemiah again to pray, and he says in chapter 4, verse 4, Listen, our God, for we are despised. Again, when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing, they became furious. It's a level up on their anger. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw it into confusion. That's what the enemy does when he gets angry. He seeks to confuse the people of God to stop the work of God. Verse 9, so we prayed. If you're ever feeling confused and frustrated when you're trying to answer the call that God has given you, stop and pray. Verse 11, we're given insight into the wiles of the enemy. They said the people won't even realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. They sought to infiltrate. Friends, in our churches today, in our ministries today, there are a lot of unbelievers that are seeking to enter in. They might even be unaware that they're not really on our team because we've cheapened the gospel and lowered the bar and allowed everybody to come in, unlike the scriptural, biblical model. 
We have to be careful who we enter into partnership with, who we ally ourselves with, friends. We have to be very careful who we allow to take part in doing the ministry that God has given us to do. We have to be very careful that we are not being sabotaged from the inside by our own people. Nehemiah encourages the people to not be afraid. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We need to be inspired to remember who is on our side, namely the God of all creation, when, in fact, we are doing the calling that he has given us to do. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his work on the wall. It's interesting, isn't it? Just when the enemy knew that you were aware of what they were up to, you're able to resume your work. Verse 17 says, the laborers who were working on the wall carried their loads with one hand and carried a weapon with the other. They couldn't let down their guard ever. They had to position themselves as guards at night and work during the day, working with one hand and carrying a sword with the other. They were so spread out because of the length of the wall that they had to arrange a warning system that when one side was being attacked, all of the laborers around them would rally together at the sound of the ram's horn being blown. Chapter 5, there was a widespread outcry from the people because they were being oppressed by their leaders. They were being taxed. They were being charged exorbitant interest. They were left in a position of hopelessness because they didn't even have the land to cultivate to grow crops. Chapter 5, verse 6, Nehemiah became extremely angry when he heard their outcry and these complaints. It's interesting that he became angry. A lot of Christians mistakenly say anger is a sin, but it's not. The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And Nehemiah shows us how to do this. When he became angry, it says in verse 7, he seriously considered the matter before he went and made accusations. He didn't just call these governors and these leaders of the people evil, wicked people. He called out their sin without condemning them. And the result of that was that those people repented and the needs were met of the people who had been oppressed. In the last part of chapter 5, we're seeing the difference between the previous governors who had gotten rich off of the people by taxing them. But Nehemiah gives an example of how Christians in general should act. And he says, I refuse to take anything from them. And so Nehemiah didn't get rich. He made the place better. Makes me think about a lot of Christian leaders today who are getting rich off of speaking engagements and convincing people to donate to their ministries. And the people are left oppressed and broke, but they're lured with the promise that they'll be blessed and prospered if they continue to sacrifice to make that leader rich. Friends, be very careful who you give your time, your resources, and your devotion to. Let's advance the kingdom of heaven by being unified with one another by loving one another, by putting the needs of other people before our own, getting outside of our comfort zones, and blessing the people around us. May God bless you. 
as you seek him. Thank you for being on this journey with me. See you tomorrow.